let me, let me tell you as we begin to study how the Lord works, um, we chose those songs for this morning on Friday, right, Tony? Was it Friday or Saturday? Um, Saturday. It was yesterday. Because um, it's just been a busy week, and, and uh, we got to it, and I texted Tony and said, what do you think about these? And he came back with a couple uh, that we sang this morning. And the theme, we didn't, we're not, we're not um, orchestrated here. We don't, we don't um, go weeks and weeks and weeks ahead and try to figure out, you know, what songs are going to match that. We really try to follow the Lord's leading. And I'm telling you that not as a, a statement of pride. I'm telling you that because I love how the Lord works. That he chose those songs this morning. And then I was going to begin a new sermon series this morning. And all week the Lord just kind of pressed my heart, not this week, not this week. And he led me to a passage that I kind of said, what, like, why would we do this passage? And as soon as they started talking, I thought, that's the reason. That's the reason why we're studying this passage this morning. So I want you to take your Bibles and turn to the book of Judges. Judges chapter 13. I'm praying and hoping that in 2018, that this is going to be a year where we see the Lord's hand really at work in our midst. And that applies to our personal lives, like we just heard from Lee and Karen. It applies to our marriages and our families, and it applies to us as a church. We need the Lord to do a work of growth. We need the Lord to do a work of maturation and healing and restoration uh, in our midst. And there are some exciting plans we're going to be showing you in the months ahead about some of the ways that we can expand our ministry and be more effective. But whatever your situation this morning, I pray uh, at the outset that you will believe that the Lord wants to do this. I pray you will believe the Lord wants to do this. And, and if you don't, I pray that this study and that testimony will convince you and stoke your faith because God wants to do something wonderful in your life. God wants to do something wonderful in your life. And the setting for this text and the study that we're going to do this morning will, will reveal that. The setting is at the time of the judges. Israel has failed the Lord again after Joshua died. They go right back to their old ways, uh, and they, they start to worship Baal, who was the god of the Canaanites, which was the area that they had taken. And in chapter 2 of Judges, it said that Israel provoked the Lord. So God allows five nations to come in and to oppress them, and to test them, and to, and to cause problems for them, because disobedience invites discipline, right? Whenever we diso disobey, that we're, we're just asking for discipline. So he establishes judges to, to provide kind of righteous standards for the nation, because there's not a Moses now, there's not a Joshua now, it's kind of flat in terms of leadership, and the kings haven't come in yet, David hasn't showed up yet, so God establishes judges, people like Othniel and, and Deborah and Gideon and Barak, uh, these, are, these are people that he establishes to, to judge and to help the nation spiritually. Now, one of these men is going to be named Samson, and we probably know him, but before Samson's born, the Lord does a work in the life of his parents. And this text, Judges chapter 13, highlights that because as God announces the pregnancy to them, he teaches us 2,000, 4,000, 6,000, however many years later, 
uh, some very important spiritual principles that we need to hear this morning, uh, especially if you're in a time of difficulty like Lee and Karen had been, when, when they had nothing to do but cry out to the Lord. How many know that's the best place you can be, where the only option is to cry out to the Lord? We should choose that when things are going well. That, that crying out to the Lord is the only thing. That's all I want to do. Well, well, they do that. And God does an amazing work. Look at chapter 13. Let's just start in verses 1 to 7. We'll try to get to the rest later. Now the sons of Israel again did evil in the sight of the Lord, so that the Lord gave them in the hands of the Philistines for 40 years. There was a certain man of Zorah, of the family of the Danites. Dan was a tribe of Israel, whose name was Manoah. And his wife was barren and had borne no children. That's their problem. That's their crisis. Then the angel of the Lord appeared to the woman and said to her, Behold now, you're barren and have borne no children. Thank you for the reminder, Lord. I already was in pain. But, oh, I love the word but. But you shall conceive and give birth to a son. Now therefore be careful not to drink wine or strong drink, nor eat any unclean thing. For behold, you will conceive and give birth to a son. That sounds like Luke 2. No razor shall come upon his head, for the boy will be a Nazarite to God from the womb, and he will begin to deliver Israel from the hands of the Philistines. Then the woman came and told her husband, saying, A man of God came to me, and his appearance was like the appearance of the angel of God. Very awesome. And I did not ask him where he came from, nor did he tell me his name. But he said to me, Behold, you shall conceive and give birth to a son, and now you shall not drink wine or strong drink, nor eat any unclean thing, for the boy will be a Nazarite to God from the womb to the day of his death. Now, this time that this is taking place is not a spiritual high point in Israel. In fact, it's a spiritual low point. Verse 1 says Israel is doing evil things again, and it's so bad that God's delivered them into the hand of the Philistines for 40 years. Now, that, that's two clear indications that something's wrong. First of all, it's for 40 years. 40 is the number in the Bible of judgment and testing. 40 days of rain in the ark. Moses spent 40 years in the wilderness before going to, to um be ready to go to Egypt. And then Israel spent 40 years in the wilderness wandering after they disobeyed. Elijah was 40 days without food as he was preparing uh, for Mount Carmel. Jesus fasted for 40 days before he was tested, and so on and so on. 146 times in the Bible, God uses the number 40. So that should get our attention. So it's 40 years of the Philistines. And the Philistines are the other indicator because anytime you see the Philistines moving into the Israelites' territory, it indicates that Israel's really out of touch, that they're really living the wrong way because the Philistines were kind of God's special forces to, to tell Israel you're doing the wrong thing. So these are bad times. Down is up, up is down. No one's living right. But God has a wonderful plan. And he sends an angel to this woman, to Manoah's wife. We don't even have her name. And he sends to her and he says, you're going to have a child. Now there's no explanation in the text of why the Lord chose Manoah and his wife. But it will become, I think, evident later what godly people of faith they were. But I want to give you a couple spiritual principles this morning. And number one is right here. The first spiritual principle is the Lord is looking to bless and use people in extraordinary ways. 
The Lord is looking to bless and use people in extraordinary ways. No problem is too large. No situation is too far gone for God to step in and carry out his greater plan. I'm sure when Lee and Karen were going through that time, three hospital floors, running back and forth, crying out to God, running out of the room, they never imagined that someday they would stand on this platform and testify, look what God's done. And yet God has a plan Manoah and his wife, their situation was sad. The wife couldn't have children, and that was unhappy personally. That was unhappy emotionally. It was also sad because it meant that Manoah's name was not going to carry on. The generations would stop with them. And it's interesting that this particular situation is so common in the Bible. Sarah, Rebecca, Rachel, Hannah, Elizabeth, they all dealt with it. And the Lord allowed all of them to become pregnant when it didn't seem possible. And in each of those cases, I was fascinated by this week. This is a little study you can do. In each of the cases that I mentioned, the first child was used in a powerful way. Sarah couldn't have a child, but Isaac became the son of the covenant to, to Abraham. Jacob and Esau were born to Rebekah. They were the famous twins. And, and the Lord changed Jacob's name to Israel, and he became the father of the 12 tribes. Rachel couldn't have children, but Joseph and Benjamin were born to her. And Joseph became, obviously, an important man of God. Samuel was born to Hannah after she went to the temple and cried out, Lord, just give me a son, and he's yours. Samuel became a great prophet and a great leader in Israel when they needed it. And then Elizabeth, who was so sad, and God appears to Zacharias and says, oh, it's about to change. And the son you're going to have, he's going to lead the way to the Messiah. And Jesus said, John the Baptist is the greatest man ever born of a woman. People who are in dire circumstances, people who are in dark times, people who are sad and, and hurting, and, and, their, and their situation was dire, and the Lord not only answered their prayer, but he did so beyond measure, and then he used those children in historic ways. That's the heart of God. God loves to show up when we think the situation's hopeless. God loves to appear when we're, when we're oh, it, it can't happen now. I don't know what to do. There's no answer. That's when God wants to appear. And he can change any situation into a place of extraordinary blessing. So we have to resist the tendency that we have, and you know you have it, and I know I have it, to fall into discouragement and feelings of futility and resentment and doubt. And that's a strong, strong emotional battle. But those, when, when, when those times are darkest and we seem the most helpless, that's the time for our faith to be triggered like never before. That's the time for our faith to explode and our zeal and trust for the Lord to be stoked. It's too easy to let the spiritual and emotional embers just kind of die out instead of tossing fresh logs of deep dependence and saying, no, I'm not going to let that fire go out. I'm going to stoke it up. Like Paul says to Timothy, Timothy, refresh that fire. How many know when these days are freezing and it's 20 below and you stoke that fire and it starts to go down? You feel it in the room, right? It gets cold. Throw a couple logs on, you put a little paper on, and all of a sudden it's roaring again. You're like, oh, that's happy, that's cozy. Listen, that's spiritual. Every time you build a fire, think of first Tim Second Timothy 1. Stoke up that fire, Timothy. Come on, you can't let yourself get to that place of despondency because God 
wants to work. Reignite that fire. The Lord brings this news, look back at the text, to Noah's wife, and she's got to be ecstatic. Never an indication of doubt or debate like there was with Sarah. You remember how Sarah laughed in the tent? She scoffed at the word of the Lord. Oh, come on. Do you know how old I am? There's no way we're having a baby. She thought the conversation with Abraham was having with the angels and with the incarnate Jesus. She thought that nobody heard her, but she's back in the tent. I can't believe it. And Jesus says, why is she laughing? This is the word of the Lord. And because of Sarah's lack of faith, she made some damaging decisions. She got impatient. She said to Abraham, I can't have a baby. Go to Hagar. And Hagar has Ishmael. And to this day, there's conflict because of that decision. But look at Manoah and his wife. They don't question the Lord. They just believe. Oh, the Lord impressed upon my heart this week. How important is it to just simply trust the Lord? Just to take him at his word. Oh, come on. That, that's a deep spiritual principle. That that's that. The Lord said it, so I believe it. Oh, I, I don't know, Paul. You don't know the circumstances. Listen, circumstances don't matter to the Lord. Circumstances don't matter to the Lord. He is above our circumstances. And we need stronger faith and stronger obedience. And we can rationalize it away and say, well, I'm, the situation's different and, and you don't know, but it's not. I think that's why the Bible gives so many extreme examples of people that were in impossible situations and trusted the Lord and then God blessed them. He shows us something like Judges 13 so we don't believe the enemy's lies that we're unique and that we have license not to trust. Oh, other people can trust, but I don't need to trust because my situation is different. No, it's not. It's not different. And when we believe the way Manoah and his wife did, the Lord then proves our trust. He verifies our willingness to lay out, by laying out specific situations of how to go forward. You know, I was thinking about this this week. This is why God gives us Acts through Revelation. Acts through Revelation is a detailed explanation of how we should live as a result of knowing Christ and as a result of striving to be like Christ. So think about all the things we learn in Acts through Revelation. How to be filled with the Spirit. How to follow His leading how to have correct biblical theology, how to live out your faith every day, how to have an active and verbal witness, how to use your spiritual gifts, how the body of Christ should function and serve, how to offset spiritual warfare, how to grow in maturity, how to know God's final plan, how to prepare to meet Jesus. All of this, the New Testament is a wealth of practical, specific instruction to us. And then God gives us his Holy Spirit. And as we study, he teaches us individually and applies things specifically to my life and to your life. And then as we call on his name, he stirs us and leads us, just like he did with Tony and me with these songs, just like he did with me when I was going to preach about giving. And God said, no, you're going to preach about Manoah. And I'm like, Manoah who? Manoah, January 7th, 2018, I'm going to do Judges 13. Yes, you are. Because we talked a month and a half ago about them doing a testimony. I had no idea. God knew. God knew. So today we study Manoah. Today we sing those songs. And it fits all together. See, God is specific. 
So look at what he tells Manoah and his wife. Specifically, let's go quickly. He says, you're going to raise a miracle child. You're going to raise a miracle child. And they didn't know it yet, but the Lord was going to put his hand on their son's life and work his life in ways that are so significant that we're studying them thousands of years later. And their son would become so well known by history that if you ask a non-believer, who was Samson? They'll tell you, oh yeah, he was the guy who had the long hair, who listened to Delilah and had his hair cut off and lost all his strength. These are non-believers. These are people that say, I don't believe in the Bible. It's a bunch of garbage. Do you know who Samson is? Oh yeah. Delilah's a name, right? It's kind of a, it's kind of a code word to characterize somebody who's deceptive. Well, well, that person's a Delilah. Well, if you don't believe in the Bible, who do you know about Samson and Delilah? See, God knew, and he was preparing Manoah and his wife and saying, your son, oh, this is not an ordinary son. This is a son that people are going to know about and study for thousands of years. So here's what you have to do. Look at the specific instructions, verses 4 to 7. He says, first of all, don't drink any strong drink or eat anything unclean. Now, why is God putting restrictions on them? The son is the one that he's going to deal with. Well, I believe, and I'm going to offend some people here, I believe this is because alcohol dulls your thinking. And it causes poor decision-making, and it softens moral judgment. And the Lord said to Manoah and his wife, I want you to be absolutely focused on the high calling that you have. And I believe with all my heart that God is challenging some of you to make fresh decisions about alcohol for this same reason, because there is no higher calling than living for Jesus Christ. And when we live for Jesus Christ, alcohol is inhibiting that, and it's hurting our witness for him. God said to Joshua, right? Remember to the people? Consecrate yourselves. Consecrate yourselves. And we can't be consecrated and pure and set apart for the Lord if this is still a part of our lives. And, and, and it's difficult, I know, and it's been a culture, especially in this state, but if we're living like the world does, how are we going to have an effective witness to them? I get so sad, I'm going to be personal here, I get so sad when I see pictures on social media of old friends who are not only openly flaunting that lifestyle, usually at the expense of being involved in the work of the Lord. But now they're involving their kids in it. And they're teaching the next generation, this is how you live. And that's going to keep perpetuating unless we take a stand now. So I, God's challenging you. God's challenging you about this. Look at the second specific instruction. Your son will be a Nazarite. That means he's going to take a vow you're going to give him a vow to be set apart to the Lord. That's literally what the word means. It means to be consecrated and set apart or separated. And the Nazarite vow was first established in Numbers chapter 6. It required the person to abstain from alcohol and wine and anything from grapes. It was evidenced by not cutting your hair. It was fulfilled by making sacrifices to the Lord, a, a burnt offering and a, and a sin offering and a peace offering and bread offering, grain offering, drink offering. All the offerings that God put out, he said the Nazarite has to fulfill those as a statement of, of consecration and separation to me. Samson wasn't the only one. Samuel was a Nazarite. John the Baptist took the Nazarite vow. Paul even seems to have taken a temporary Nazarite vow during his ministry. 
And that's the second spiritual principle this morning. In times of spiritual decline and difficulty, God sets apart his people. In times of spiritual decline and difficulty, God sets apart his people. And he calls them, listen now, he calls them to renewed, outward, visible commitment. In times of spiritual decline and difficulty, God sets apart his people and he calls them to a renewed, outward, visible commitment. There, was never, uh, there, there is never a more important time for us to be distinctive and to be separated to the Lord than when the culture is dark and evil. Some Christians, some churches rationalize that the best tactic now is to become attuned to the culture and to try to understand their need and try to relate to them and try to, try to kind of come alongside them and be more like them. I cannot find one single place in my Bible where that's instructed. Instead, look at verses 4 to 7. He says to Manoah and his wife and his future son, Separated, consecrated, committed. The angel tells Manoah and his wife, your son has a distinctive calling. He's going to deliver the people from the, Israel, from the Philistines. And that's interesting because the people had gotten under bondage on their own decisions. Verse 1 makes it clear, Israel did evil again. That word again is so painful. They did evil again. Paul wrote sinned again. Paul Rhodes doubted again. Paul Rhodes failed the Lord again. That, that word again is painful. Israel sinned again. There's no evidence that they cried out to the Lord. There's no evidence that they asked the Lord for help. There's no evidence that they asked the Lord for deliverance or that their hearts were even sensitive to the Lord. But you know what? There are times when the Lord pours out his grace anyway. That doesn't mean that he unilaterally forgives people because forgiveness needs genuine repentance to be completed. But God says, I'm going to show you mercy. I'm going to show you grace. I'm going to show you that there's a better life outside of doing evil. And he had already prepared the path of deliverance for the people. Just like he did when Israel was in bondage for hundreds of years in Egypt. And God already knew someday the Red Sea is going to open up and they're going to walk through on dry ground. He knew that there would be a day when they'd stand at the foot of Sinai and they'd take off the rings and build a golden calf and say, that's the God, the God of out of Egypt. But God still had a plan that he was going to get them through the wilderness and walk across the dry ground of the Jordan and get to, to Jericho and the walls would fall down. God also knew that you and I would sin from birth. And he prepared a way. He sent Jesus to defeat the grave. He sent Jesus to deliver us and offer us redemption. God never stops being gracious. And he is already preparing a future. Listen now, believer. He's preparing a future that's full of mercy when we turn our hearts to him. And that's what happens. i got to read the rest of this. I'll go quickly. But look at the rest of what happens starting in verse 8. Manoah entreated the Lord and said, O oh Lord, please let the man of God whom you've sent come to us again that he may teach us what to do for the boy is to be born. God listened to the voice of Manoah and the angel of God came again to the woman as she was sitting in the field. But Manoah, her husband, was not with her. So the woman ran quickly and told her husband, Behold, the man who came the other days appeared to me. Then Manoah arose and followed his wife. And when he came to... 
the man, he said to him, Are you the man who spoke to the woman? And he said, I am. Manoah said, Now when your words come to pass, what shall be the boy's mode of life and his vocation? So the angel of the Lord said to Manoah, Let the woman pay attention to all I said. She shall not eat anything that comes from the vine, nor drink wine or strong drink, nor eat any unclean thing. Let her observe all that I commanded. Manoah said to the angel of the Lord, Please let us detain you so we may prepare a young goat for you. The angel said, Though you detain me, I will not eat your food. But if you prepare a burnt offering, then offer it to the Lord. For Manoah did not know that he was an angel. Manoah said to him, What's your name? So that when your words come to pass, we may honor you. But the angel said to him, Why do you ask my name? Oh, I love this. Seeing it is wonderful. So Manoah took the young goat with the grain offering and offered it on the rock of the Lord. And he performed wonders, speaking of God, while Manoah and his wife looked on. For it came about when the flame went up from the altar toward heaven, that the angel of the Lord ascended into the flame of the altar. And when Manoah and his wife saw this, they fell on their faces on the ground. Go back to verse 8. Manoah goes to the Lord in prayer. And the word there is he entreated him. That's a great Bible word. It literally means to earnestly and humbly beg. How many need more entreating in their prayers? How many need more times of just pouring out our hearts before God? Less demanding, less doubt, less listening all that we need, and more fervent Humble pleading with the Lord. Lord, increase my faith. Lord, work in a mighty way in my midst. Lord, answer these prayers. I'm hopeless and I'm helpless and this is impossible. I need you to work. I love Manoah's request. Look at it. It's so pure. He says, please teach us how to raise this child. Parents, are you praying that for your children? How how do I raise my child, Lord? I have no clue. Like, now that they can walk and talk, I'm, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm, oh lord they're teenagers oh my goodness i don't have a clue lord they're in college lord they're getting married lord they're having their own kids how do i influence them how do i train them how do i raise them are we praying for the teachers who right now are instructing our kids You know, there are some prayers that we pray in life that are going to be effective almost all the time. And they're the ones the Lord loves to answer because we're acknowledging our inadequacy. And we're saying, Lord, I need you. Lord, I need you. I need your wisdom. I need your strength. I need your leading. I just need you. Manoah goes to God and he goes, I've never had kids before. How do I do this? What do I do? And look at what God does in verse 9. Oh, I love this verse. It says, God listened to the voice of Manoah. What an amazing statement on the power of prayer. We know the God. We know the God who listens. No other belief system in the world this morning has a God who listens. And Manoah prays something so simple. Just show me what to do. How do I raise this child that you've given us? 
How do we help him fulfill the calling you've put on his life? I love how humble and dependent he is in this prayer. I don't know about you, but I need more of that. He, he's so pure in his desire. He's so humble in his request. So many people, I think, are, are, are hesitant to pray because they're worried they're going to have to be very erudite and intellectual. And, and, and I don't know, I've had people say to me over the 30 years I've been in ministry, I don't really know what to do. I don't really know what to say because I hear you pray and you're praying a certain way and I don't pray that way. Let me tell you this morning, prayer doesn't have to be complex. If you're hesitant to come to prayer meeting Thursday night because you're worried that you're going to have to pray out loud or pray with another person or you're not going to sound right and, and your prayer is going to be too simple, would you please go back and read verses 8 to 9 and then show up at 6.30 Thursday night? Because Manoah just says, Lord, I don't know what to do. Can you help? Can you show me? Because I'm clueless. I promise you that if you come Thursday night, nobody will pray in a way that's intimidating. All we do is we just come cry out to the Lord in faith. And you know what God does? He answers. He does verse 9. He, he listens to our feeble voices and he answers prayers. Don't you have a couple prayers that you need the Lord to answer right now? I know I do. I got a couple things on my mind that the Lord needs to work in. And James assures us that the prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. Why? Because God is merciful, and when we call, he comes near. And look at the mercy of God on display. We need to finish. Look at this. As soon as Manoah prays this, as soon as he prays it, the angel comes back, and he appears to the wife again in the field, and she runs and gets Manoah, and they go back to the angel, and he says, all right, what's the son's job going to be? Notice that the angel doesn't answer that. He says, let me remind you again, Manoah's wife, you need to be consecrated. This is kind of a modified Nazarite vow. She's the only woman in Scripture that gets one. Just remember what I said. Manoah, you just hang on, dude. You'll know the job soon enough, okay? Just stay over there for a minute. Hey, wife, let me remind you, you have a very important job at this point. But Manoah's heart is so right. Even though, I think it's fascinating, he believes what this man's saying, but he doesn't even know yet that it's an angel. He still wants to prepare food, but the angel says, no, offer that as a burnt offering. And Manoah says, well, I still want some more information. I need your name, because when you answer this prayer, don't you love that faith? When this, when this all gets played out and it's fulfilled, just like you said, I want to know so we can thank you and give you credit. And here's where we see the awesome part of the text. Look at verse 18. But the angel of the Lord said to him, Why do you ask my name, seeing it is wonderful? The angel says, My name? I don't really have a name. My name is wonderful. The Hebrew word also means extraordinary and incomprehensible. And when I saw that this week, not knowing what Lee and Karen were going to talk about, not knowing the songs that God was going to lead us to. When I saw that this week, I was so encouraged because the Lord is wonderful, isn't he? Angel says, my name is wonderful. You can't get it. You, you, you don't understand. It's incomprehensible to you. It's extraordinary. But let me just narrow it down. My name's wonderful. 
And if my name is wonderful, how much more is the Lord's name wonderful? How much more wonderful is the one who sent me? And let me tell you, Manoah, let me tell you, Manoah's wife, let me tell you, believer, let me tell you, church, I want to do something wonderful. I'm ready to appear in your time of need. I'm ready to appear in your time of waiting and praying. I'm ready to appear as you have expectation of what I'm going to do. You know, a lot of people believe in the power of God intellectually, but they don't believe in the power of God for them. Oh, yeah, God's powerful. Red Sea, Jordan River, Jesus on the cross, Jesus in the tomb. Yeah, God is powerful, and I know he says we're going to receive power, and man, that's great. Paul, I'm so glad you're preaching about power this morning. I need some of that power, but I don't, I don't think this is for me. We have to trust personally that God will pour out his power on our lives and he will do what we would term as miracles, but what were as easy as snapping his fingers. Parting the Red Sea, how could that be? We analyze it, we think about it, dry ground. How do the water stand still? It's been depicted in the movies. It's been depicted in cartoons. We've preached about it. We've studied it. We think about it. Where were the fish? What was going on? How? Listen, that was nothing to God. Nothing. Sure, part the waters. Done. Dry ground? Absolutely. It's not going to be mud. They can't get through mud. They'll get stuck in the mud. So I'm going to make it dry. God didn't have to think about that plan for it. Strategize. How are we going to, the physics of this, we're going to move the water. Oh, it's going to be a challenge. Stand back to see the salvation of the Lord. Boom. Done. God's power is unlimited. And his grace is wonderful. But listen now. Do you really believe that his plans are for you? Do you believe his plans are for you? We can say amen to God's powerful and God's wonderful. And I know the plans I have for you, which we often misquote. And, and yeah, God's going to work and praise the Lord and hallelujah. But, but, but do you really believe it's for you? Manoah and his wife get the word. And they don't sit around and analyze and question and debate and talk about whether it could. He doesn't even know this is an angel. Yes, it's going to happen. Because God is wonderful. What do you need to believe the Lord for today? Every single person in this room has something that we need to trust the Lord for that is out of our hands. And it may seem impossible. It may seem improbable. It may seem outlandish. You may say, wonderful word, Paul, but it doesn't apply to me. I'm telling you that it does. And you and I need to entreat the Lord and say, God, you are the only one that can do this. And because you're wonderful, I'm going to believe that you will.